Good morning, friends. Uh, it is Friday morning, which means it's time for another devotion. And today we're going to be looking at the epistle text for this weekend's uh, worship service. As uh, you might know, we've been looking at the uh, various lectionary texts throughout this year and will continue to do so. Usually we take the time to preach through the gospel text. Uh, occasionally we might do the epistle or the psalm or the Old Testament because there are four texts after all that you can choose from. But the one that usually gets the most attention is the gospel text for understandable reasons. But uh, the epistle text for this weekend is really a masterful text explaining the gospel in all its fullness in ways that are um, not really explained in the rest of scripture in such a uh, profound and clear way. This is, I mean, just the good news on blast. Yes, there are other parts of scripture that explain it uh, very clearly, but this is one of the clearest passages. And uh, since it was the reading for this Sunday, I figured, well, I guess I have an excuse to go over my favorite passage in the entire book of the Bible. So with that, Romans chapter five, let's read from the beginning. We'll try and go through the whole chapter. I will not be exhaustive, but we will go through all of it today. So it says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, justified meaning declared righteous in the sight of God, in the courtroom of heaven, since we have been justified simply by faith, by trust, by belief, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. How is it that we are justified through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, the war that humanity has raged against God for uh, millennia is over, Paul says. We have peace with God through Jesus Christ, not because of what we've done, but simply because we have believed what Jesus has done. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Here, Paul is sort of looking forward to the day when we will rejoice in the, uh, in the presence of the glory of God, when we arrive at our eternal home. And he says, we've been given access to that through faith in Jesus Christ. Not only that, but because we know that's our future home, we rejoice in our sufferings. Verse three, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So if I can sum up the whole argument so far, Paul in chapter five, it is, we have peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ. We've been justified in the sight of God because of such a thing. Therefore, we look forward to the glory that's coming when God will bring us to our eternal home. And that gives us strength to endure whatever sufferings and challenges and tribulations we may face down here, because we have an unending hope living within us. We have a hope that goes beyond our circumstances. We have a hope that fills us with the ability to uh, withstand hardship because we know that this is not the end of the story. We know that victory is coming. Now, Paul is going to go into a further explanation as to how it is God could indeed justify us simply by faith. And it really is just a masterful, marvelous explanation. He says, for while we were still weak, 
at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, let's just pause there and repeat that because that is the source of all of our hope. Christ did not die for those who had strengthened themselves. Christ did not come for those who were godly enough. In fact, Paul says to our great shock and awe and to the world's great shock and awe, very controversially, Jesus, the very son of God, when he came in the flesh, came and died for one specific group, ungodly people, rebels against God, people that in fact in their hearts hated God, Jesus said, that's who I'm going to die for. Paul, marveling at this, says in verse 7, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. Like, we understand that. We understand somebody dying for someone that seems to have some worthiness to them, that seems to be a good person. Verse 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Notice who's doing all the verbs, folks. It's Jesus and it's God the Father acting on our behalf when we were still actively in rebellion against him. As we're fighting, Jesus is pronouncing from the cross, peace, reconciliation, all is forgiven, all has been atoned for right here. Everything you've ever done wrong, all the running away you've ever done, all the addictions that you've given into, all the sins that you still struggle with, Reconciliation, right here. Peace with God, right here. Therefore, Paul says, we can be filled with joy. We are saved not based on our ability to clean up our act, which so often I have heard from people as a pastor. I cannot tell you how many times I've run into people that have said something like, ah, you know, pastor, when I, you know, clean up my act, I'll get back to church. I'm like, no. No, the church is for a bunch of filthy sinners that can't clean up their act. It's not for people that can help themselves. It's for people that simply cannot. It is for ungodly people. Jesus came for ungodly people. Listen, if you're ungodly, if you're sinful, if you're an enemy of God, if you don't like God, if you find God boring, whatever the case may be, that's who Jesus came for. Come, welcome home. That's who he wants. He wants peace with his enemies. And he's gone so far to prove it that he'd be willing to be crucified by those enemies for their forgiveness. That's the story, folks. That's the gospel. I know it gets shaded over with a bunch of moralisms and a bunch of garbage from pulpits that want to tell you about 10 tips to do everything in the world. That's not the story. We've lost the thread. We've lost the narrative. The story is God's actively reaching out through Jesus Christ to a bunch of enemies that he might reconcile them and have peace with them forever and make them his sons and daughters and friends in his kingdom forever. 
Now Paul's going to explain sort of the logic of how this can all work and, and, and the way that we see, well, so, sort of typology throughout the rest of the scriptures. So he says in verse 12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, of course he's talking about Adam here, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So Paul's first argument here, as we enter into this new section of Romans 5, which is connected, is here's how it works. One man sinned in the very beginning, and as a result, brought death to all men afterwards. That everyone, as Genesis will go on to say, is born now in his image with his stained sinful inheritance. That we are born sinful. We are born with under condemnation, as Jesus says in John chapter 3. We can't do anything to even help this. It's just who we are as human beings. We are prone. We are all going to die. We are all victims of our first father's sin, and we have since perpetuated that sin and that evil in various ways in our thoughts, in our words, and our deeds. So Paul says, sin the first sin by one man caused death for all. Well, now listen to this, verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. Ah, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. You see the pattern. He's saying, just as one trespass equaled death for everybody, one act of righteousness through Jesus Christ, one life of righteousness equals salvation for everybody, one for all. He goes on, verse 16, and the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift, underline that word, free, free gift following many trespasses brought justification brought declaration of righteousness and innocence to you of not guilty in the sight of God. For if, verse 17, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift, underlying the word free gift of righteousness, reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. I cannot begin to tell you how important that word free is because your nature and my nature is to hear the word gift and say, thank you, now I must repay the gift in order to show I'm worthy of the gift. Nonsense. No, forget what you've heard. It's free for the taking, no strings attached, gratis. That is grace, folks. It's free, given to you, won for you by the incarnate Son of God. Therefore, verse 18, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. What, what Paul is really going at here, to use theological terms, is he's talking about this sort of double imputation. What I mean is this, 
Through Adam's sin, all human beings were credited with the results of his sin. They were given a death sentence as a result of the one man's act. So too, through Jesus Christ, one act of righteousness, all of humanity has been imputed the righteousness of Jesus Christ and forgiveness of their sins for those who simply believe it by faith. For as by one man's disobedience, verse 19, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, so, so important. When we think about what the law does, we tend to think of the law of God as instructing us for moral behavior, true. Instructing us for how we should live, true. But that's not its primary function. Its primary function is to increase the trespass. Why? But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Let me paraphrase for you. When we recognize that we have trespassed, which is what the law does, it shows us that we are guilty, then we see our need all the more for grace. That if we are to be saved at all by God, it has to be by him entirely. It has to be by grace alone. Paul says, yes, it's true. The law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Folks, I don't think it gets clearer than that as far as a presentation of the gospel facts. As a matter of fact, Paul goes so off on grace here and on the, the extent of what Jesus has accomplished by grace for sinners, you know, saying basically that just as all were handed over to death because of Adam, now all have been handed over to life because of Jesus. I mean, that's a scandalous statement. And, it's, and he even says where sin increased, grace increased more. And so... That's why the very next chapter, remember there was no chapter breaks in the writing of Romans or any other writing for that matter, that was added later. The very next question he has to answer is, well, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Why would he ask that question? Because when people hear a presentation of the gospel as it really is meant to be proclaimed, that should be the first question. The first question should be, wait, are you really saying are you really, really saying that it's all been accomplished by Jesus no matter what? Like it's all been accomplished and I don't have to do anything. And you say, yes, yes, all of it. The natural question is, well, what are you saying? I can live like an antinomian? I can go out and sin and let grace abound? And Paul's answer, of course, is no. That's a terrible use of freedom. But nevertheless, it's true. You are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And that is what you hang your hope on, and that is what will fuel your life as a Christian moving forward. All right, I'm done. I got preachy. I know. I'm, I, I can't come to a passage like this and lecture you with, uh, and, make, and make myself sound uh, calm. This is not a calm-inducing passage. This is an induce, uh, a fire-inducing passage that makes me want to scream it from the rooftops. That's what I'm going to do. After this, I'm going to the roof of my church building, and I'm just going to start yelling it like a madman. Okay? Uh, hope you have a great Friday. God bless you. We'll see you later.